Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good. Well, before we get started this morning, I'm going to ask a few questions. Can I do that? And guess what? You already know all the answers. You know why? Because you already had all the questions. So if you've done the family Bible reading and you paid attention, or actually, you paid attention last week, you'd know all the answers. So here's the first question. How old was Manasseh when he began to reign? Lincoln? Nope. Nope. Twelve. You're right. You're right. Next question. Well, this one here you kind of would need to have your Bible to look at, but maybe you might know. How does 2 Kings 21-2 describe Manasseh? Yeah, you can look it up in your Bibles. Bruce is smart over here. He's doing a little mini sword drill. How does 2 Kings 21-2 describe Manasseh? William? Wicked, that's right. He did evil in the sight of who? The Lord. It says, after the abominations of the heathen. I'll skip over a few questions here. Who did the Lord bring upon Manasseh and Judah when they would not hearken to him? Oh, you got to raise your hand. Hannah? A prophet is true. Prophets did come, but this is speaking of judgment. Who did the Lord bring upon Manasseh and Judah when they would not hearken to him? Hearken to the prophets. William? Isaiah was one of the prophets. But who did the Lord bring upon them in judgment? Mr. Barrows. That's right, the king of Assyria, the captains of his host, it tells us. Now, another question we have here, because of Manasseh and Judah's disobedience, what did the Lord say he would do to Judah? He would forsake them. He would deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a spoil and a prey to their enemies. Okay, I hope you know this answer. Everybody knows this one. What did Manasseh do when he was imprisoned by Assyria? Well, he didn't do that yet. When he was in prison, what did he do? Hopi? He confessed his sin. The words of the Scripture says he besought the Lord and humbled himself greatly. He besought the Lord and humbled himself greatly. And when the Lord heard him and was entreated of him, what does it say that the Lord did? Yes. Forgave him, that is correct. Something else he did after he forgave him, what did he do for him? Mr. Inks? He returned him, brought him to, again, Jerusalem. Very good. And then he did tell people about God. Then he went around destroying the idols. You know what? There's still a sign-up sheet for these questions, these family Bible readings. These are important. So oftentimes we learn and we teach here in Bible Hour, but unless you invest time yourself to actually read and study and think about it, it's very hard to retain it and to bring the applications from it. So I recommend this to you again. There are some still back there, and there's a sign-up sheet for them to get as well. These are very important. All right? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 21, or if you have your harmony, to page 33, we have come to section 177. Am I missing up there on the screen, or is there some tech issue? 
There we go. Okay, we're going to start off here and do a quick little review of where we've come to with our kings. We've got Saul, David, and Solomon, right? We call this the united monarchy. But after Solomon, the kingdom was divided, right? Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Rehoboam was king in the south, in Judah, and Jeroboam was king in the north, Israel. But we fast forward. We've covered all of this history. And we've covered all of this history. Notice that in 722 B.C., Israel was carried away captive to Assyria. We move forward yet again, and here we find where we have come today. Do you see the yellow line there? Ammon. We learned about Hezekiah. Was Hezekiah a good king or an evil king? He was a good king. That's right. He was a good king. Was Manasseh a good king or an evil king? Well, that's a hard trick question, isn't it? He started off evil, but he ended up good, right? That's Manasseh. Now, how about Ammon? Well, he's just a little teeny bitty rain right there, you can see. For it tells us that he only reigned two years. And he was, it tells us in 2 Kings 21, verse 18, that he was 20 and two years old when he began to reign. Now, this is interesting. Manasseh, we've learned, was a wicked, evil king. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. When the Lord judged him, carried him away to Assyria, put him in a dungeon there in Assyria, he humbled himself greatly before the Lord. He besought the Lord. The Lord was entreated of him, forgave him, and returned him to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he went about destroying all of the idols and the false worship centers he had created in the first part of his reign. And we don't know how long then lasted before he died, even though he reigned a very long time. Do you think that all of that greatly humbling himself had an impact on Ammon? I do believe it had an impact on Ammon. But do you think that it changed the kind of man whom he was? Well, in the latter parts of Manasseh, when it tells us of all the good that he did in the last part of his reign, it tells us that not only did he do this good, but he also... Um, had gone about destroying all of the false idols, and it tells us then that the people still continued to do wickedly. We find out today that included his son, Ammon. For it tells us in 2 Kings 21, 20, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. Oh, how sad this is. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and 23 gives us a little bit more information as it reviews things. Here, we remember this picture. We use this picture to talk about Manasseh and his idolatry. Well, Manasseh had destroyed this altar. Ammon built it again. Remember this picture of the horrible idol Moloch? Manasseh had served and worshipped this god, but he had destroyed it. Now Ammon, his son, rebuilds it, and worships this idol. And 2 Chronicles 33, 32 says that he humbled not himself before the Lord 
as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. You might think, how could anybody be worse than Manasseh? Ammon, knowing even the sins of his father and knowing how God had judged him and knowing how he had humbled himself and knowing at how God had forgiven him and restored him, Ammon didn't care. He kept on doing more and more and more wickedly. He refused to humble himself as his father did. And if you look here in our timeline, do you see how long he reigned? Just a weeny little sliver. You know why? Well, look with me at your Bible. 2 Kings 21, 25, it says, And the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? A record lost to us today. And verse 23 tells us that the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. Ammon was assassinated. He was killed by his own servants who conspired against him. So it was the end of the reign and life of Ammon. For it tells us that he was buried in the sepulcher of the garden of Uzzah. Now what happened to those conspirators? Well, we find out in verse 24 that the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. And so now Ammon just reigned two years and he is assassinated by his servants. Those servants who assassinated him are executed, justly so. And the people make his son Josiah to be king. Now, we know Josiah, don't we? How many of you know Josiah? Oh, you all kind of know Josiah, right? Well, guess what? Even though we have not learned anything about Josiah, you all should know who Josiah is. Do you know why? There was something that took place 300 years before this. Now, 300 years means we got to go way back. Let's see on our timeline here if we can go way back. So, um, it's, it's not here. So, we go back. Um, it's not here. We've not gone back 300 years. We go back. Oh, here we go. We've gone 300 years back. Right up there, you see Jeroboam, the first red king. Jeroboam, you remember something he did? He set up an altar. And he made two golden calves, one in Dan, way far north, and one in Bethel, just north of Jerusalem, a few miles. And a prophet was sent to him. See up there the nameless man of God, top of the page? And that prophet came to him and said, judgment upon Jeroboam, judgment upon that altar and upon those golden calves, and he actually gave a prophecy, and he said that the day will come when a king would arise whose name will be Josiah. And he's going to destroy this altar. That was in approximately 975 B.C. We fast forward. 
and we fast forward. And we have come now to 640 BC, where we have a king whose name is Josiah. 300 years later, a Josiah comes to reign. Now, I have a very curious question. Why did Ammon, a wicked king, name his son Josiah? I don't know. I imagine he knew this prophecy. I imagine he knew that there was a prophecy of one who would destroy these altars. See, Ammon himself was worshiping these idols. And so now here Josiah becomes king. Is this the Josiah prophesied? Is this the, the Josiah prophesied before? I'm going to tell you out of the story. Yes, it is. This is the Josiah prophesied of 300 years before by that nameless prophet at Bethel. So let's look at Josiah's reign. We're going to do an overview of his reign. He became king in 640 BC, and it tells us that he reigned 30 and one years. He reigned 31 years, so his reign lasted until about 609 BC. Now, let's come back here real quick and look at the timeline greater. Do you see how close he is to the end or 586 BC, the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon? That's not very far away, is it? When Josiah died, it was in 609 B.C., and the final destruction of Jerusalem took place in 586 B.C. And just to tell you something else, the first deportation of captives from Jerusalem actually didn't take place in 586 B.C. It actually took place in 606 B.C., only three years after Josiah died only three years after. That's how close we are to the end. Just three years from the first deportation and less than 20 years from the ultimate. But let's look into Josiah's life. He became king in 640 BC and he reigned until 609 BC. And I need some helpers this morning because in the record of Josiah, we are given specific identifying factors of ages of Josiah. And so I'd like to do an overview of Josiah's entire life right now, and I need some helpers. So if we look here, it tells us in 2 Kings 22, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Gavin, can you come on up here? Gavin, you're seven, right? But you're going to be eight soon, right? Do you know our church is full of 11, 12, and 13-year-olds, and it's also full of seven-year-olds? There's actually six of you in the church. Would you like to be king? Oh, he wants to be king. Remember last week we talked about having a king who was 12 years old? Now imagine you had a king like this. Now keep in mind, you had Hezekiah before, some of you old, old people as king, and then you had 50 years of Manasseh. That was crazy. And then you had two years of Ammon. And that was And now you got an eight-year-old as king. I don't know about you, but I would be a little leery of this guy named Josiah. You're king. You want to come on up here? 
and um, I'm going to make you king. Imagine an eight-year-old king. This is when Josiah became king. Boy, look at that. The robes don't even fit you. Don't move. This is how old Josiah was when he became king. Now I need a few more helpers. In fact, we need a now a 16-year-old. So Jared, you want to come on up here? You can be my 16-year-old, and we've caught him just in time because he's almost turned 17 like this week, right? Next week. Oh my. You want to go just stand there next to your 8-year-old self? And then there's another age we need. We need a 20-year-old. So I need Carl to come help me. Carl. Carl's 20 years old. And then I need a 26-year-old. And so Isaac's going to come up and be my 26-year-old. And next, I need a 39-year-old. Do we have any 39-year-olds here? Oh, Mr. Tool wants to be that. 39-year-olds. Oh, I guess I'm going to have to be that guy. I'm not 39 yet, though. I'm almost. These are the age range of Josiah the king. He became king when he was eight years old, and he died when he was 39. Just a few months older than I am. But you see the different age ranges here? There are major events that take place in each of these time periods in Josiah's life. He became king when he was eight years old, right there in 640 B.C. Let's see if I can get this off without poking you. There we go. And then... There's some things told us about him when he was 16 years old. Do you know what it says that happened when he was 16 16 years old? It says that he began to seek after the God of his father, David. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing for all 16-year-olds, to seek after God. In fact, it's a good thing for 8-year-olds to seek after God at 16. Let's seek after God no matter how old we are. Can we do that? 16. Then we are told about him when he's 20. This is in the 18th year of his reign. And I'm sorry, not the 18th, the 12th year of his reign. And in the 12th year of his reign, it's recorded actually for us in 2 Chronicles. For it tells us there that he did a few things. If we read in 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 3, it says, For in the 8th year of his reign, when he was 16 years old, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And he break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images 
that were on the high places above them. He cut down. You know what he used to do it? He used this thing called a mattock. That looks scary? Well, if you're an idol, that thing looks scary. Because he used that to bust you to powder. And guess what? You didn't want to be hanging out with those idols either. For it tells us that he broke down these idols and these groves and the carved images and the molten images. He broke them in pieces and made dust of them. And you know what he did with it? He strove them. That means he spread them upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And remember I said you didn't want to be anyone near these idols? The priests who were serving these idols? It says in verse 5, And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And it goes on and actually says not only did he do this, but if we look at a map here, it says that so he did in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. Hold that mattock up again, yeah. Went through Jerusalem and Judah. And you notice that the, the tribal regions mentioned about Simeon. See Simeon down there in the south? You see Ephraim there just above Benjamin and Judah? You see Manasseh, those were mentioned. And then you see Naphtali. Naphtali is the purple up at the top, which actually goes up to the far north. This is a summary of the regions that he went about destroying the false idols and the false worship centers throughout the land. Why did he do this? Well, because when he was 16 and yet very young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in doing so, after four years, he realized some action needed to be taken. 20, you know, is a significant time in the life of Jewish people. In the Old Testament, in the days of the wilderness wanderings, when you turn 20 years old, you held personal responsibility. It's very likely that when he was way down here as just the young eight-year-old, he had, he had other governors who at least advised him, if not really did the ruling over the kingdom. He now knows that his time when he becomes full king, at least according to tradition, of the 20-year-old, he begins to prepare himself in seeking the Lord. And when he is in his 20th year, he takes action doing what he is commanded as king to do in the theocracy of Israel. All of these regions round about. It again repeats it in verse 7 that he break down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel. And he returned to Jerusalem. Remember your dad, Ammon? He wasn't so good, was he? Remember your grandfather, Manasseh? Now, Manasseh had already kind of sort of done this, but not nearly to the degree of which Josiah has done it. Well, let's go back to our overview of Josiah's life. When he was 20 years old, 
He commanded for the destruction of idolatry throughout the land. But then we have another guy up here, don't we? Well, before we get to that guy, there's another little major event that takes place here. You've all heard of the book of Jeremiah, right? Did you know the book of Jeremiah was written by a prophet named Jeremiah? How many of you knew that? Wow, there's some of you who didn't know that. Really? I think you all knew that. I hope so. That there's a book written by a prophet, Jeremiah. Well, that prophet, Jeremiah, and his writings began here in the year after you did this campaign throughout the land and destroying the false worship throughout the land. Right here is where Jeremiah appears in history. But I said we got another guy up here. How old are you? 26. See, I had to pick you first because Joel's only 25 still. So is Ethan only 25. That's why I picked Isaac. Isaac, he's 26. Well, now some events take place in, 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 his, in his 18th year when he is 26 years old. When the law of God is found, when the temple is repaired, when the Passover is kept, when the covenant with Israel is renewed, and the law of God is publicly read, resulting in yet further reforms throughout the land. These are the major events in the life of Josiah. But not to forget 609 BC, when he was a year older than me, when he died. And that's a whole nother account. So as we learn about Josiah, we see him become king. We see him begin seeking after the Lord God. We see him bringing about reforms in the kingdom and abolishing idolatry. We see further reforms as the law of God is found and it makes a difference. And then in the end, we have Josiah's death. All right. There you can see a snapshot of all that took place here. And so now... Let's transfer and jump to when he was, yes, 26 years old. Thank you, gentlemen. The rest of you. I'm not going to fit any better than an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> rest of you can go to your seats. Thank you. We're going to learn about Josiah in his 18th year. And I need more helpers. You probably can't see that. That's partly intentional. Because it's just loaded full of people. Little people and how they're all related to each other and what they all do. You've met one of them. His name is Josiah, the king. He's in the far left. You don't need to see the whole chart. I just want to show you that there are ways to help you understand all of the people and names mentioned in these chapters. So frequently, when we come to chapters like this, we miss them because we get bogged down with the names and we have no idea who these people are. No idea who they are. There's a whole lot of them and how they all fit together. We're going to talk about them and I'd like to introduce them to you and I need some helpers. You've met the one, His Majesty, King Josiah. Let me introduce you to a scribe. Shaphan. Shaphan, a scribe. You go want to stand up there with your king. 
And let me introduce you another man, Hilkiah, the high priest. I need a volunteer for Hilkiah. I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. You want one? Come on up. You can be Hilkiah. You're Hilkiah, the high priest. And I'll give you a crown so that everybody knows and can remember who you are. That will make it easier, right? All right. You go up there and stand next to Shaphan. So we have the king, Josiah. We have Shaphan, the scribe. We have Hilkiah, the high priest. Now, I need someone who wants to play the role of the governor of the city of Jerusalem. Who wants to be the governor? No speaking part for this guy. Who wants to be the governor? Come on, come on. You get to wear a circlet. Yes, you are the governor of Jerusalem. You can go up there and stand with your friends. You see, we have some pretty important people in Jerusalem here, don't we? We have the king, we have the governor, we have the high priest, and we have a scribe, a prominent scribe. Now, I need someone who wants to be Joah. Who wants to be Joah? A man. Okay, you come on up here, you can be Joah. And you know what your job is? You're the recorder. Isn't that interesting? We have people like this still kind of today, don't we? We still have governors. We call them over the, over the states, but here we've got one over Jerusalem. And here we've got a recorder. You're a guy who keeps track of all the paperwork, all right? Yep, you keep track of all the paperwork. We've got the recorder. Notice something about this here? We've got some major governmental officials, don't we? The governor of Jerusalem, a recorder, the high priest, a scribe. Now, a scribe's job was to, was to, um, was mainly to copy out the scriptures. And um, it's interesting that he comes into play here. Now, there's a few other guys that I need. And so I need three more helpers. Who, I need three more men. Come on, just three guys, come up. Doesn't matter your age. I need three guys to come up. No speaking parts, just stand. I need three helpers. I need three helpers. I need three helpers. I've got one looking like he's coming here. I've got another one, Lincoln. Oh, and Joel, too. Okay, you three guys. Uh, one of you is the king's servant. So who wants to be the servant? All right, you're the servant. You go stand behind the king. And then you two guys, uh, one of you is Shaphan's son. That's a great deal. Okay, you're going to be Shaphan's son. And you are Akbor. And um, we don't know who you are other than the fact that you get a job. All right. So you see the different people we have here. We have His Majesty the King. He has a servant. We have Shaphan, a scribe. We have his son. We have the high priest, Hakiah. We have the recorder. We have the governor. And we have a guy we don't know except anything but his name. Well, actually, we know some of his lineage. You could see it up there. He's there on the bottom, the middle guy in that section there. So here's a lot of different people. And see, there's a lot more names up there, but those are the family members so you can know how they're related to each other. That's why all those names are given here in this chapter. Revealing true history, not myth or legend, history. These are real people who had real genealogies, who had real relatives. Now, there are four other guys here. You'll see them there up there called as overseers of repairers. And since I have such reluctance for volunteers, I'll just imagine you out there. Four more guys. And you get in charge of repairing the temple. There's four other guys in charge. Now, I need to introduce you to another person, a prophetess, Holda. Holda. You all know who Holda is? 
You guys don't know who Huldah is? Everybody knows who Huldah is. She's Jeremiah's aunt. I bet you didn't know Jeremiah had an aunt. Most of you have aunts, right? Well, so did Jeremiah. Jeremiah had an aunt. Huldah, come on up here. If we compare scriptures with scripture, it's most likely she is Jeremiah's aunt. At least they have um, the, the way that the family genealogies go. And I know more people had different names, but it's very likely that she is Jeremiah's aunt. You think you're old? She's even acting old. Did you see that? That means I get to sit down. Oh, she gets to sit down. Well, here's, here is, here is Holda. She's a prophetess. Most likely also Jeremiah's aunt. So what takes place with all of these people, and why do we have them all here to help us to understand the account that takes place? Well, if you look in your Bibles at 2 Kings 22 and verse 3, if you're following in your harmony, we're on page 36, they're under section 5. It tells us here in verse... Um, three, and it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, when he was 26 years old, that the king sent Shaphan, Shaphan, the, the scribe, to the house of the Lord with an assignment. Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house, unto carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timbers and hewn stone to repair the house. And there is the plan. So Shaphan is sent with this message to who? Hilkiah, the high priest. Why don't you come on over here? We'll imagine over here is the temple. And Shaphan comes to you with this message. And so the message comes to him. Now you see, what's happened is throughout the land they have gathered funds and money. There's also treasures in the temple of the Lord. And so this is all gathered together to be given to the workmen. Remember I said there's four of you out there who are the overseers of the work. You are trusted men who are out there to do this work. Uh, their names are Jahath, Obadiah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. These four men, who by the way are Levites, two of them are Marites and the others are Kohathites, which of you know those names are names of Aaron's sons, so they're of genealogies coming from those two sides of Aaron's family. And these four men are set up and appointed over the work and the repair of the temple. And it tells us in the midst of this, in verse 7, "...howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. There was no need to call them to record, because they voluntarily..." gave an account of what they had done and demonstrated to all that they were faithful stewards. Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verses 9 through 13 goes into some of the detail of what these men did and how they did it and their names and their genealogies and their details. So the projects are continuing on. The temple is being repaired. Now, 
there's a problem in the temple. The temple is a mess. Not only is the temple in disrepair, not only does it have holes in the walls, not only has it been stripped of its treasures and of its gold, and all over it's just a mess. It's full of trash. It's full of idols. It's just full of junk, 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 junk. Clutter. Well, you know what? One day, as Hilkiah is working with the workmen and cleaning out the trash out of the temple, he finds something. Do you know what he finds? William, what does he find? He finds the law of God. The law of God had been missing? If we read here and look and compare scriptures, it appears that this was specifically the book of Moses called Deuteronomy. And he finds it. Now I have a question. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I'm curious out of all these years, it says you've been seeking the Lord God of David, your father, but yet you haven't had the law. That's interesting. You know what I believe that means? That means that you've been relying very heavily on people like Huldah, and Jeremiah, and your second cousin once removed, Zephaniah. Zephaniah is also a prophet. You know that name. One of the books of the Old Testament was in his life. These men who were prophets of the Lord. And in this, they find. And how long it had been missing, we don't know. It's very likely, in some regards, that it wasn't really lost. It was just lost in the same way it's lost in most of our lives. You see, we all have Bibles, right? We all have the Word of God that we can hold in our hands, that we can read. But so often, we let other things clutter it out. We let all kinds of things crowd it out of our lives so that it's as if it was lost. It never really was lost. It was in the temple the whole time. It wasn't really lost. It was only lost in priority, in value, to the point where, in Josiah's reign at least, it had been forgotten that it was even there. It was there, but it was lost because no one had given it attention. Let's not make the same mistake. So, Hilkiah, the high priest, he finds this, and he comes to Shaphan. And you say to him, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. You say that to him? I found the book of law in the Lord. Yes, he found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and he gives it to Shaphan. And Shaphan takes it, and you know what he does? He starts to read it. Now, if this is indeed the book of Deuteronomy, it may have taken him two or three hours to read this, this book. 
And I imagine as he started to read it, he started to go through it, and he realized, I need to share this news with someone. And so you know what Shaphan the scribe did? He says that Shaphan the scribe, he came to the king, and he brought the king word again, and he, ooh, he said to the king, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And so there is the report of the work being done. Apparently, this means that this law was found really quick. Like, apparently, the first day. Like, they just now assembled the work, and they just now started the work, and Shaphan's just now getting around to report the fact that they've started the work, and they found the law. You know what that tells me? Is that it wasn't really lost. It had just been neglected. So he gives this report. And then Shaphan the scribe showed the king that scroll, the book of the law, saying, The priest hath delivered me a book. And so you know what Shaphan began to do? He began to read it before the king. He began to read it before the king. And as the king heard the words, it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. Why would he do such a thing like that? Because as he heard the law read, he realized how greatly the people were disobeying the laws of God. And it troubled him. It made him sad. And so he issued a command to Hilkiah, Hilkiah the high priest, Achaim, Shaphan's son, and Akbar, whom uh, we don't know who he was, and his servant over there, Asaniah, and Shaphan too. You governors, you governor and, and recorder, you're, you're just observing all of this. And you guys have been overseeing the work in the temple. But you five men have a job. Listen, the king is going to give you a command. Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So, these five men go to inquire of the Lord. And you know who they come to? They come to the prophetess, Huldah. gives the details of who this woman is. She's one who's said to dwell in Jerusalem in the college. We're not exactly sure what that means. It may mean it was a place of where prophetess and educated people were and may also mean an old folks' home. This place here where she came, she was a, she was a descendant of one who was said to be the keeper of the wardrobe. Hmm. 
wonder whose wardrobe. Maybe yours. Maybe the wardrobe of the temple. Maybe we don't know. But they come to her, this woman, Holda, a prophetess. And they communed with her. I imagine they told her what had just happened. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words and curses of the book which the king of Judah hath read. Because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place, and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and went before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And so these five men, they brought to the king word again of what Holda the prophetess had told them. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the latter chapters, God recounts blessings and curses for his people if they forsake him, curses, and if they obey him, blessings. <laughs> Josiah has just finished hearing this read, and he's realized that our kingdom sounds more like a kingdom worthy of the curses. And he's horrified. He's horrified. And the prophetess reveals and says to him, the words are true. All that is prophesied will come to pass. They will. It's too late. In fact, it was too late in your grandfather's days. For it's repeated repeatedly in the prophets that it was because of the sins of Manasseh, not just Manasseh, but the entire kingdom, that the judgment would not be turned away, even though in the days of Manasseh, God showed them mercy. And God's going to show you mercy. You won't see it. You won't see the horrors that will come, the famines, the starvation, the cruelty of foreign enemy powers, the captivity, the destruction of Jerusalem, the utter destruction of the temple. You won't see it, but it's still going to happen. We're going to talk more about this next time. But what's really going on in the kingdom, not for Josiah, but for most of the rest of the kingdom, is just an outward show. It's all fake. It's not from the heart. 
That's the case of the condition of the rest of the kingdom. We learn that from Jeremiah. We learn that from Zephaniah. We have it implied from hold of the prophetess. The people really haven't turned to the Lord. In a way, God's law is still lost to them. Even though outwardly they are conforming to this revival, next week we're going to learn about a covenant, and outwardly they stand to the covenant in their hearts. They're far from God, and judgment will come. Remember, remember our, our timeline? Well, it's disappeared. We're just a few years. When Josiah dies, it's only three years later that the first deportation takes place in 606 B.C. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, remember them? They're carried away captive only three years after Josiah's death. The judgment is still coming. So I have a challenge for us. Is the word of God lost to us? We may have... Is it lost in your schedule? Is the word of God lost in your work or in your schoolwork? Find it. And don't just find it to know where it's at to dust it off, but read it. Obey it. Live it in the spirit of God. The character descriptions of Josiah is one in 2 Kings 23, verse 25, where it is said that he was like unto him, that like unto him was no king before him, that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to what he had, the law of Moses. This says, neither after him arose any like him. He was one who, remember when he was but 16, began to seek the Lord. Let's not wait till we're 16. Let's seek the Lord from the very beginning. And let's not forget to seek the Lord. When the, prophet, when the messengers came to hold of the prophet, did you hear how she described him? As one whose heart was tender and one who had humbled himself before the Lord. Are we a people of a tender heart where God can work with us and are we a people who are humble before our God? Do we seek him? Do we? Let's be like Josiah. Let's be like Josiah. Gracious God, we thank you for your word and this history. May we learn from it. Help us not to forget your word or let it be lost in our lives, but may it be the centerpiece of our lives as we worship you day by day. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. May we have tender hearts. Create in us a tender heart. And may we seek you with all of our heart and our mind and our strength, that you might be glorified in our lives, we pray in your name. Amen.